In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Hi, I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. Indeed. So, we have a, a bit of an updated look here. We're trying to improve things as we can as we go through. Sure, sure. A couple of update items. One of the couple of things we wanted to say were uh, kind of the times of the day we record. Uh, we're, we're here in the afternoons, after work, after kids. Uh, yeah, certainly not... Uh, you know, 7 a.m. This is a, uh, a uh, oh gosh, a tone of an after day, after the day. Well, and, and so far we've been doing it on different days, but, you know, as time goes on, if, if we get some increased interest or if people are wanting us to, we could try to do a live stream that's at a set time, depending, you know, as our audience grows, that might be an appropriate thing to talk about. We'll have to see. Absolutely. I'm certainly willing to participate. Yeah. Okay, so, so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask what your topic uh, to start with for the day was. Well, I think, I think talking about sin is a good idea because it ties into a lot of different things and it's, it's a very foundational thing. And there's some pet peeve there for me with how a lot of Christians sort of treat sin. Um, a lot of Christians treat it as rebellion against God. And that is a type of sin. That is a category of sin. But me forgetting to do something that I intended to do, like, you know, I meant to spend time with my wife, but I got tied up doing this other thing that wasn't as important and I forgot. Technically, that is falling short. And the definition of the word sin is to fall short. It's an archery term, to miss the mark. So okay. to not to not get where you were supposed to get, to not be holy and perfect, makes you what sinful. It, and we are all sinful. Go ahead. Is it something that you would describe as your own goal? Like you aim for your goal, you fail in your goal, uh, where you were thinking you your actions were leading you to uh, some result and that failed, and so that's a sin? Or is it only that when you put God as the aim and you fail that, that it's a sin. Well, I mean, obviously, if God has an objective for you and you fall short of his objective, then you are sinning. But, and this is where things start to get complicated because there is also the case where um, in the New Testament, Paul tells us that if we if we think that something is a sin for us, then it definitely is. And if we don't think something is a sin, then it definitely isn't. And that gets kind of complicated. <clears throat> but what I would say is that, that a, an absolute definition of sin would be, we fall short of what God has intended to be our result, our target. And that that's something that we can't actually see perfectly, right? I mean, the if we live under the law, the law tells us what what technical perfection might look like, but it does it as in such as a way. Not, uh, as long as it's not so actively convoluted that by doing anything you're breaking the law, because the laws are contradictory. Well, and that's and, and I'm talking about the moral law as laid down in the Bible, not our laws. There is actually a big piece of confusion there because breaking the law in, like if I'm speeding, technically I'm breaking the rules of the road. Technically, if I think that's a sin, then it's a sin. But before God, I don't think speeding is a sin. That's 
Yeah, I've, so, I've had a situation where I had gone to a, a, a friend's house. Her mother was in the kitchen just on the floor. And I picked her up and I ran to the car and we ran a hundred and something miles an hour to the, the freeway. And she she was excited and asked me about the speeding. And I said, if a cop pulls me over, he'll understand and guide me to the hospital. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And and I guess what I would say is let's let's actually talk about this in terms of what we know from Scripture first. So we can sort of organize what we're talking about. As far as what sin is, what we know from Scripture is sin is us falling short of what God has intended for us. And part of, and I think where the whole um, awareness of sin, Paul saying that if you think it's a sin, it is a sin, comes in is if we are, if we believe that something makes us fall short, then by definition, we're putting our attention on something that isn't really useful if we're wrong. And if, if we're right, then obviously we've already sinned. So the point is just that if you think it's a sin to you, then it's going to be because one way or another you've screwed up. And, and really what all this leads to is a couple of different things that I think are really, really important. So the first point is when people talk about sin, there are different gradations of sin. If I am in rebellion against God and I am hurting God's people on purpose in order to in order to try to hurt God, that's a level of sin that's pretty heinous. If I'm forgetting something that I should be doing or I'm not actually living up to the level that I should be, but my intent is there and I'm working in that direction, that's a totally different level of sin. And both of those things make us fall short of the perfection of God, right? So one way or another... One way or another, we're, we're falling short. So you can, a lot of people who are really religious like to lump that all together and say, all sin is heinous in God's eyes. And technically that's true, but it's not all the same. Go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, and I would even try to clarify that uh, maybe some example of uh, poisoning the well, but uh, I think the word I'm looking for is spite. If you're mm -hmm. operating in spite, that is sinful. If sure. you're operating in acceptance of failure, that's sinful. Failing is right. not necessarily sinful, but accepting the failure and making it every day and just saying that's the way it is, you know. So acceptance of failure is a sin. I agree. Um, right? So the the action itself is <clears throat> uh, described in uh, Genesis. We, we were given the knowledge of good and evil. Right? This is... Yeah. This should this should be simple, and uh, you can tell if you're heading down a path that's going to lead you to ruin. We'll just keep it simple. Uh, and so, if you were uh, damaging God's people in whatever way it may be, um, a lot of times it it would seem as though just by existing that you're damaging what's around you. Right? You, you've got to eat, so you're taking someone else's food. But sure. that sort of concept doesn't flow with humanity. Because as I eat, I, I'm growing more than I can eat. Right? None of us just grow one person's food. Well, right? and that, that's, that's the idea, right? Is that we all would, if we're, if we're acting the way we ought to act, we're producing more than we consume, and, and we each produce different things. And so we end up with... Well, yeah. Yep, and you could, you could think... Oh, this is important to me, this plant, this growing method, whatever it may be, I need to protect it. But if you were to spread it and someone else were to use the same methods on different soil, they'll have a different uh, output. So you, just by sharing the knowledge of how it's done, you're not, you're not exactly giving away your advantage in that situation. You're providing more variety for everyone. Real quick, I want to pull back to something else you talked about, given the knowledge of good and evil. And I want, to, I want to be real careful here, because just because we've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we can judge between good and evil, that doesn't mean we're making right judgments. It just means that we're making a judgment. So what, you're, what you were speaking to was more about conscience. And God has implanted in us 
an understanding of where we ought to be. And the Holy Spirit will actually speak to people and tell them what they ought to be doing. And that is conscience, right? That's a, I would say that's more what you were referring to. Am I right? It, it's so widespread, but yes, that also is encompassed. Okay. Well, moving along here, I guess to me, the first, the first point that I really care about that, that a lot of people sort of would quibble over or something is this idea that all sin is worthy of death. And yes, that's true. But when it comes to functional everyday living, how we live our lives, do you really think that God's so stupid he can't see the difference between someone who is intentionally lying and stealing and and murdering people and somebody who falls short in a particular way because this is a point people get really stuck on is the gradations of sin yes god can see those yes any sin is falling short of what he would have us to do but that doesn't mean that he's going to be he he is a a righteous judge it doesn't mean that just because we fall short in one way we're, we are going to be looked at in the same light as someone who is um, intentionally going out and doing harm. And there are, there are people who would quote back at me, well, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes, so what? That doesn't mean you should intentionally go and do horrible things just because you're not going to measure up no matter what you do of yourself. That doesn't compute. That isn't the way it works. And people, frankly, should be ashamed for, for going around saying stuff like that. We need to be looking at the world in a way that's helpful and useful to people. And, and yeah. the first part of that is that, yes, we need Christ. Yes, we need forgiveness from sin. And along those lines, all our righteousness is filthy rags, and it, it, it is important for us to, to acknowledge that. But then after that, when we're living our daily lives, we got to go, you know, there, there are differences in these things, and we have to look at them in sort of a, a what would you call it, a useful, uh, a uh, down-to-earth and, and, I don't know, the words escaping I think, me. I think that the, the appropriate way that I look at this is, um, gosh, what is the story of um, uh, Christ washing feet? Um, so in during the Last Supper, before he went to die, he washed his disciples' feet. In supplication and, and acting as a servant, you can have the greatest of knowledge, the greatest of strength, the greatest of longevity, and it is your job to spread that to the people as best you can and, and, and provide the knowledge of, of how you're there, provide the, the uh, you know, Guidance and, and do your best to be the Eden for... Uh, I, 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 see your, I see what you're saying, but maybe, maybe my second point will bring a little clarity to this, because here's the way I live, and this is going to take us into another... Um, down, down what you would think of as a rabbit trail, but really it's just moving the discussion forward as far as I'm concerned. The way I live is without consciousness of sin. That's what I aspire to anyway. And, and here's what I mean by that. In the gospel, or not in the gospel, in the New Testament, Paul says, where there is grace, there is no consciousness of sin. And the way this works is, Christ came to save us from our sin once and for all, and that's a free gift. And he will cleanse us of our sin as we become aware of it. But we also know that without the law, there is no awareness of sin, and so there can't be any... Um, any responsibility for it exactly either. And so the way I would look at this is as a Christian, I am free from sin and I don't need to be aware of whether I'm sinning or not. Instead, what I need to be aware of is, am I obeying what Christ has told me to do? And am I following the lead of the Holy Spirit in the moment? And so when we when we talk about this, there are a lot of people who get off track by saying, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, but whatever this is, it isn't congruent with Scripture. And that doesn't work. 
God is always going to be the same. He, he, nothing he does is going to disagree with anything else he does. Nothing he says is going to disagree with anything else he says. He may give us room for our weakness. We, we find places like in the gospel where Jesus said when he was talking about divorce that people were given the permission to divorce for whatever reason they chose as a concession to them, not because it was what God intended. And, and the idea here is God will make room for our error. He will make room for our sin. He did that by sending Christ to die for it. And Christ gets to decide which sin is forgiven. That's totally his prerogative. And he, he did uh, give us some measure of that. And I don't understand entirely how that works. But what I will say is that in our case, if we're Christians, the way we ought to live is not with a constant awareness of sin. The way one of my uncles put it is he said, that's like gorging yourself on the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a lot of churches do it where they're, focus is on whether or not we are sinning, whether or not we are falling short, whether or not we are living up to, and, and really what our attention ought to be on is, are we following Christ the way we ought to in the moment? Are we obeying his commands and are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Because what what we find is that when we have problems, the Holy Spirit's going to draw our attention to those in good time. He will lead us to freedom from our sinful nature in the time when it's appointed go ahead i would remove time from god's purview god could have you do something now that is for a thousand years in the future he could have you be responding to something that happened a thousand years ago sure sure but the point is still that when we need to be doing something he will lead us to that not later not before when it's Mm -hmm. useful Mm -hmm. just that how would you tie that into being called to be a uh, fisherman and a shepherd? Well, we know that the one task that we were set specifically to do was to make disciples of the nations, right? And so being a fisherman, Jesus, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he told some of them, come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. And what he, mean, what he meant was, I will teach you to bring men into the kingdom of heaven. I will teach you to bring men to forgiveness and salvation and repentance and to eternal life in Christ. And that is, that's our charge, right? That's our mission. And in obeying him, in obeying his commands, there are other things that we do as a part of life, like we love each other, we, we love our enemies, we take care of our families. We do all of the different things that we're commanded to do as part of life, but our charge is to make disciples. So that would be what I would say as far as fishermen goes, and as far as shepherds go, not... I'm trying to think how to put this into words. We all have different responsibilities, right? We, we talked a little bit about responsibility back in one of those one of the early episodes when we were talking about the spiritual realm and powers and principalities responsibility is what god has given to us as humans instead of hierarchy and that is he gives me responsibility over this writing i'm doing or over my family or whatever the case may be he gives uh, somebody else i was our church recently had a change in pastor and um I would say that having experienced it, having listened to the Holy Spirit when it was going on, I would say that the the guy who is now the pastor of the church we're going to is given responsibility for being the pastor of that church, for drawing people to Christ, teaching people, and, and helping to steer that body as a shepherd. So... I would say I being would... a shepherd is a responsibility that we are given. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I would uh, throw in a little bit of a quip, one that we uh, we discussed off off air. Mm-hmm. The um, the be a fisherman is something like everyone loves ice cream, but nobody likes it thrown thrown at them at fifty miles an hour. So we're charged to 
bring everyone into the fold through example, through um, kindness, through openness, um, and bring people in that way, not through a sword or, you know, just beating people across the head and saying, worship this rock because I told you to. Um, and then being a shepherd is being a good father, you know, um, bringing sure. your family, bringing your family before, um, well, bringing your group, whomever your group may be, into the, you know, into God's way, wherever we're moving, because we don't stay still. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I guess that brings leadership into it too, right? This, this is a buzzword that everybody loves is leadership. Everybody needs to be a leader. And we end up with too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And the reality is what leadership is, is doing exactly what you said. We are, as a servant, we go before our group, whoever they are, and we help them to move in the right direction as best we know how. Whatever we have to offer in terms of value, we offer. Whatever God leads us to say, we say. Whatever the case may be. But I think that when it comes to real leadership, that's what I would point to. And Christ gave us the ultimate example of that, right? He died on the cross for our sins and served us in the way only he could. And that's what we're called to do. I think that's pretty concise. I think so too. Um, we've still got a few more minutes before we would want to go to break. So let's see here. We are on uh, what what earns God's condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and actually that's a good place to go because a lot of people don't understand this. There's only one thing that I have been able to find in the New Testament that that leads to condemnation once you are saved and it's remarkably easy to be saved the the scripture says and actually this is something else to sort of set out is most people say that in order to be saved you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead but then in another place, the New Testament also says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there are people who would try to pin down exactly what that means or, or try to get you to, to believe that only people who fit in this box get saved. But the reality is, who gets saved is totally up to Christ. That's, he paid the cost, he gets to decide who's saved. And the way I would think of it is something like this, that, that when you're actively in rebellion against God, that's a good indication that he isn't going to choose to save you. And that's borne out by another verse, it's in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, where it talks about um, those who put Christ to an open shame and crucify him twice, essentially by going into open rebellion after they have known about him and known him and known who he is. And that for those people, there is no help, something along those lines. And, and I've heard people say that that's an absolute. And I've heard people say that there is, that that's while you're doing it, that it's absolute because there are those of us who have at times in our lives gone and, and, done something similar to that just sort of in a fit of absolute frustration and anger and i know for myself god has never refused to take me back when i come to him hat in hand and say i'm so sorry i made myself look like such a fool and i dragged your name through the mud god's never actually refused me he's always accepted me and with rejoicing so um, I don't remember which part of Romans it said it is, but it's um, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor um, angels nor demons nor principalities nor powers. And basically, basically what he's saying is that there is nothing in the world that can separate us from the love of God in, through Christ Jesus. And the point here, what all I'm trying to say is that there is nothing that you can do that makes you unlovable by him. And he is the redeemer and he is here. He came and lived here on earth in order to 
offer you salvation. That's for you, for me, for everybody, for any person watching this. That's the way it is. And the way he has called us to live in that is n not under the law, which leads to death. The, the scriptures outright say it. And, and like when Paul's talking to the Galatians, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, how can you continue in <laughs> under the law what was begun in faith and think that you're going to be successful? <laughs> it's like, no, it just doesn't work that way. What he has done is he, he gave himself for us to give us salvation so we can move forward in an effectual way to grow up into Christ, to be transformed from glory to glory. Right. It, would, it wouldn't make any sense to me, at least. I couldn't understand um, uh, a reality where we were meant to not or to just sit still and, you know, uh, live on the grasslands and die in the winter and never change anything. That seems yeah. counter counter godly. It right? does. We're to, if we're it, constantly helping, we're constantly changing. It does. Well, and, and you know, this this gets a little complicated because... Um, there were two rebellions against God, not just mankind's rebellion, right? We know that in the heavenly realms, there were those who rebelled against him as well, and that they were cast out of heaven as a result. And um, that actually came up recently, too. That happened during Christ's lifetime, as near as I can tell. It, it talks about it in Revelation, and there are two places in the Gospels where Christ is credited with saying things about how um, Satan fell from he I saw Lucifer falling from heaven like a fall like a lightning or another one where Christ says that that from the time of John the Baptist there has been war in heaven so we get the idea that that it's during Christ's lifetime that all of this went down or a big chunk of it but we don't actually know when and we're not really supposed to know when on all of this stuff but the point is still there were two rebellions, and the spiritual rebellion really complicates our lives here on earth because all of the all of the spiritual beings that were in rebellion against God that are now here messing with us are really making it hard for people to see straight. There's a lot of deception that's going on, even over and above what God gives people over to. The, it, it talks about in Revelation, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. So we know that the devil is actively engaged in deception and that we are the target. And that, that makes understanding all of this and coming to Christ a very tricky, very difficult business. But... Again, it's he who decides whether we're saved. It's not of our will. It's not of our works. There's, there's no merit on our part. It's simply his free gift to us. And the way I understand it is if we accept it, then it's, it's ours. But we have to accept it. And to say exactly what that means, I don't know, because the Holy Spirit talked to me when I was five. Do you really think that at that age I could make a comprehensive decision of what it meant to have God in my life when I was five? No, of course not. So to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't offer that choice to everyone down through the ages, I wouldn't know. That, that, isn't, my, that isn't my domain. And anybody who goes messing around saying that they know who's saved and who's not is inviting well, trouble. One of the uh, guaranteed sins is, is taking uh, uh, responsibility for God's uh, effect, right? To, to, yeah, to not, well, I tend to, to not, agree, yeah. Right. Um, taking responsibility John, for God's jobs, trying to, trying well, John, to do what... Go ahead. John the Baptist said, I, I uh, baptize you in water. He'll baptize you in holy water, right? No, the, the Holy uh, Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the idea that, you know, you can forgive sin or, yeah, for you to tell someone that you are operating as God is pretty black and white. That you, know, you may be mistaken. You may accidentally do so, in which case you should, you know, realize it and repent and repent stop doing and, that. Repent and turn around and, yeah. 
No, you're right. right. And well, and and the whole point here, and what we're agreeing on, is just that this is not something that we ought to be inserting ourselves into. It's not a healthy place for us to be operating. And if we do, we're going to wind up operating in God's place and sinning thereby. Are we in a uh, pause point for our break? That's a great. This is a great place for a break. So, okay. yeah, this we'll be back in a break. minute. Be back in a minute. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by the Energemetra 6 universe and by the upcoming book Bright Star by me, Jared Michaud. If you're interested in reading the book, head over to e6universe.com. Uh, I'm still looking for people for the book launch team. In return for posting a few reviews on bookstore sites and sharing on your own social media, you can get a free physical copy of the book and uh, read it that way. Or if you'd like, we do have a few copies for sale for pre-sale between now and April of 2024 when the book comes out. Modern Apocrypha is made possible by North Arrow Coffee. It's the pro-life coffee company where 15% of every sale goes to a pro-life cause. And it's so good that even us non-coffee drinkers love the company. Everybody I know who I have uh, given North Arrow Coffee to who is a coffee drinker loves it. So the quality of the product is wonderful and they're not a company that hates you. So. If you're interested, head over to northarrowcoffee.co and use the promo code E6 for 10% off with your order. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so before the before the break, we were talking about uh, recognizing sin, and I love this particular passage. This is uh, Mark uh, four twenty. I'm going to start just a little ahead um, on Mark thirteen and read through. If that's all right. It's about yeah. a paragraph. It says, "Then Jesus said to them, <clears throat> Don't you understand this parable? Actually, I suppose I should start ahead and read the parable. A parable so that." They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How, <clears throat> how then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where, this, uh, where it is sown. And soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown uh, among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires from other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop. Some produce 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So yeah. <clears throat> you can see um, through your efforts, if you're getting uh, proper results, you can test through adversity, whether you're steadfast, um, And see if you're even using the tools at your disposal appropriately, right? We were given all of the tools that everybody is given. Um, we exist on, in this place. Um, uh, one of the, the most uh, notable technologies of our era is the uh, printing press, the Gutenberg press. Um, and certainly more Bibles have been printed than ever before. And right? we've got the ability to um, disperse the word of God in, in ways that are amazing. But it also created a propaganda state that never existed before. So those that are 
out there pushing the word and helping their communities and doing all of God's work, or of course doing correctly with the tools at their disposal, and those that are not, are not. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, it makes perfect sense. And and I guess I would say the one thing I would add where, you know, it talks about the, the worries of this life um, choking out the gospel where it's spread. There's another place where I think it is Christ who says, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And that one has been pretty tough for me lately because what I've been going through financially is difficult and the um, there is that temptation to go oh I should just go back to the way things were well I know that's not a good thing it was not good for me at the time and it is it wouldn't it would be even worse to go back so well and you can imagine for a lot of people in the world right now um you may be suffering through uh, addiction, right? Some things like that, that it feels good. It, I'm feeling bad right now. I could just look back, right? Yep. And if you can if you can stay the path and, and trust in God's uh, faith in you, then you'll get to the other side, right? Faithfulness you'll, to you, you mean? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. You, know, you pass, pass through the valley in the shadow of death and fear not. Yep, that's right. Oh, I'm with you. I think that's well said. No, and and yeah. Well, then there was the other point that we were going to hit. We talked about a little bit during the break, and I, I don't actually want to just blurt it right out. Instead, let's uh, let's lead into it a little bit. Well, sure, sure. Um, I guess improperly used tools is a great place to kind of uh, dig in. Um, Absolutely it is. Well, or the bit about gorging on the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One of the things that that I see real often lately that, that really concerns me, actually, as far as Christianity goes, is this, this thing where people are paying a lot more attention to what the Bible says than to what the Holy Spirit is telling them. And, you know, we know... We know from the scriptures, they what they say is that all scripture is useful for... Do you remember the passage? I could look it up. I don't. Okay, hang I on. I don't know. Uh, let's see. While you're looking it up, let me yeah. speak a moment. Um, we know through uh, scriptural history that God works in mysterious ways. He uses all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. And I can just see too much of a dogma and too many uh, hard, fast rules getting in the way of someone hearing God's demand and following it. Right? That's that's sort of the um, the space, the the worry. Um, you can't think that you know they're so bad, they're unsavable. They're um, so far away, I can't reach them. They're you know um, too old, and I don't know how to speak that language. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, you can't let the scripture hold you back from doing what the scripture said to do. Well, and and we know the scripture says that in our weakness, he is stronger. But going along with that, just 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 to say what scripture is here, Second sure, sure. Timothy, Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness. So, and and that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's actually say those again. Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Okay, those are the things Scripture is useful for. That's what it says. It doesn't say Scripture is all you need. It doesn't say scripture is the only way that you can understand Christ. In fact, a a right understanding of Christianity is that we are to know him. 
that the Holy Spirit is poured out on us and we are to know the Holy Spirit and we're to learn his voice. Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And the idea is when we hear his voice, we need to recognize it. That's not something that you can do if you're so caught up in the Bible that you're looking at what has essentially become a graven image of Christ in words. And what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, it is, you can't know me by looking at the dictionary or Wikipedia reference to me, even if I had one, which I don't think I do. Um, you couldn't know me by reading the Wikipedia entry on me. Even if you wrote a book as long as the Bible about me, you couldn't know me by reading the book. You could learn things about me. You could understand facts about me that matter. You could understand things that I've said that are important, maybe. But in reference to Christ here, we can't know him just by reading the Bible. That is one of the ways that we learn about him. But we know him by experiencing his presence in our lives. And a lot of people in this day and age have taken scripture and turned it into an idol. They've turned it into an image of Christ that they worship instead of worshiping the real Christ. Sure, sure. I also think that we've got um, a lazy um, approach to scripture quite often. We get our favorites and then we we sloganize a particular uh uh, scripture, and then you you start to uh, pull it even out of context and, and apply it where it didn't fit in context in the scripture. So now you're applying, um, yep, applying the the outcomes without the prescribed uh, necessities. If that makes sense, well, that makes That's perfect sense. Horrible phrasing. <laughs> well, I, I get the point though. The point is that when you're when you're using scripture out of context what you're going to end up with is something nonsensical does not fit the circumstances properly. And you're right. And then there's other dangers with misuse of scripture. Um, you and I both have uh, our challenges with the Catholic church. If you've completely sure. politicized and, and brought your uh, faith down to the ground, right down to, to material uh, understanding, then God's people will see it and revolt. We right, we can't abide the sin the sinner being claimed to be forgiven by a man when we can understand that God wouldn't forgive it. Well I, I understand what you're saying, I think. I would probably put it a little differently. I would say that when it comes to churches like the Catholic Church and, and this goes actually for almost any church. And, and this is something that we ought to get into at some point. I'm, yeah. I, I, I am think, very unfamiliar with churches in general. You know, I'm an anti-disestablishmentarian, well, I believe is the name of it. I've traveled you know. through many churches and I'm very much opposed to any sort of mega church, any sort of humongous organization. Well, that's, that's actually something that I think we ought to get into and it's going to take a whole episode to do it. But the mm. idea there in brief is basically just that when you take the family of Christ, the body of Christ, and you try to systematize it into a human organization, you wind up basically totally losing the plot. That isn't the way God has done things. That isn't the way he said he would do things. And when, when you try to do it, you end up with problems. You, you put yourself in a place where the enemy, as the enemy, you know, we've talked in several of the past episodes about how the enemy works in the systems and organizations of this world to try to create systems and incentives that hurt people. And one of the things we see in modern America is that that is what the church has become. It has become very little more than an instrument of destruction in the enemy's hand. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty terrible charge to lay at the feet. But, you know, maybe, maybe another episode soon, we ought to get into it because it's pretty bad. But the whole point of this and whatever church you point to is that they're going to go off in directions that are 
that are probably unhealthy. And that doesn't mean that you always run away from them, because a lot of times Christian people, Christ followers, are found in churches. And without the body, we wither and die. You know, when you when you cut the fruit off or cut the branch off of something, it dies. And we have to be connected to the body and connected to Christ to be fruitful and to be effective. But at the same time, what we've got right now for a for the church is in a pretty sad state and most people are aware of it. And one of the things that, that feeds into that is what we're talking about here. And that is idolizing scripture. Sure. I I see an outcome that favors shepherding over fishing and turns away people that should be accepted and that's the unfortunate result of of over codifying you know churchifying uh whether it be uh what has turned out to be uh, religious wars between sects thinking that they had it right and that was good enough to kill fellow fellow christians yeah they uh they've, they've lost the plot in the uh supporting uh the family yeah so when you when you've gone so far that you're no longer uh doing all of your jobs and you're just now focusing on uh protecting something that you've got which isn't yours <laughs> right yeah. that's the problem yeah well and and even beyond that i think just the the fact that we fail to see Christ as the real present head, the Holy Spirit is leading us, and the Christ is the real present head of the church, tends to take us to a place where we oughtn't to be. And that when you start to go there, and you start to systematize things into human organizations, you're putting yourself in not great positions. But... You know, ending on it. How, Go ahead. Uh, yeah. The thought that had run through my head was the uh, passage that says um, to be a responsible and and uh, good leader, but also be a you know people great and small. Do your you know do your works as you've been called to do. Um, doesn't suggest that you can't join organizations. Just that as you join an organization, you're joining any organization for god right you 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 would not uh that would protect you from not following through with the promises that you promised in that position right most nobody most people aren't purposely setting up a system to cause harm or be uh right well and let's let's pull let's pull another thing that we talked about in the past back into this we talked about hierarchy versus authority when you find yourself in an organization that prizes hierarchy, we know that hierarchy was brought into this realm by the enemy, not instituted for humans by God. That means that's an indicator that you're heading in a direction that's not great. And yeah, we can, we can, we have the freedom. As I said, we don't, we don't need a consciousness of sin. We live under grace and we follow the Holy Spirit and follow Christ. And what that means is we have... We have permission and grace to join any church that we think is appropriate. We, we have, we have, it is lawful for us to do any of the things that we think are necessary, but it doesn't mean that that's going to be good for us. And when we start looking to an organization and putting that in the place of God in our lives, that's a problem. So real quick on a positive note here, so that we're not ending this on like a a doom and gloom and total criticism note. You know, this is something that, that the church, Christ's body goes through in this realm multiple times since he left is this sort of cycle of a, an increasingly tyrannical and oppressive organization that that claims to hold his authority and that eventually is brought into well it's eventually brought down usually it's shattered and scattered and um, certain remnants of it are 
Uh, well, and certainly, certainly, even this is not all of the time. Um, the powers and principalities and the, the will of the, the enemy will flow into a word for a while and then exit the word. So even as we use these words to describe it, it is obvious and, and no, notable kind of after the fact. Only while you're there, right, can you uh, see what's in front of you for what it is with right. God's well, and that discernment, that that intimate connection with the Holy Spirit teaching you in the moment what you need to know that you wouldn't be able to get outside of his personal leading is such a critical part of following Christ that we all need it. I had somebody tell me one time that he didn't have a relationship with God or he didn't have a real relationship with the Holy Spirit and it hadn't hurt his walk with God. And I'm like... Oh, you poor guy. I pray that you come to salvation because we know that in the end there are people that Christ will say, I never knew you. And what that means is that the people who know him are the ones that he is interested in having a relationship with. It isn't the people who have decided that they know enough about him or something. That's. But anyway, just on the positive note, what I would say is that where we're at may look particularly bad to, you know, a number of people. And it, it has to me in the past, but I've come to realize that this is just another turn of the page. God's still working. He's still just as active as ever. And if we are wanting to be in the center of what he's doing, he'll pull us along to what we need to do and give us the... You know, he'll give us the joy in it and bring us fellowship and all of the parts of what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. I think that sounds like a great place to stop. I think so. Thank you, everybody, for being here, and we'll catch you next Thanks, time. Everyone. See you next time.